We've kind of been going through a series lately that simply has to do with the fact that it does matter what you believe. And so we have talked about basic, uh, fundamental, orthodox Christian doctrine, and we have talked about the importance of the Word of God and reading the Bible. We've talked about the importance of understanding the creeds that have been handed down uh, throughout the centuries by Christians. And so today we're going to talk about the gospel. The gospel, the word gospel, is a word that I think, kind of like the word Christian, it has been used and in some respects abused. And like a lot of words over time, their meanings tend to evolve. They tend to change somewhat. And so I think sometimes today in our Western culture, in modern evangelicalism, the concept of gospel probably is somewhat different than what the Christians in the first century understood the term or the phrase gospel to be. So let's talk about and ask the question, what is the gospel? Well, I think most everybody understands that the word gospel uh, is understood as or translated as good news. It's the good news. But the good news of what? What good news? Uh, What is the good news? Well, I think uh, the answer is found right there in the question pretty much. The, The question is, what is news? Think about that. What is news? News is whenever you learn something, you become aware of uh, some kind of information that you did not know previously. You know, it's like sometimes if you haven't seen anybody in a long time and you walk up to them and say, hey, you got got any news for me? And somebody might tell you something, you know, oh, we're buying a house. Oh, that's great, you know, that sort of thing. You didn't know that before, but you hear this information, and it is good, positive information, and so that's news to you. The news comes on different levels. You know, sadly, we live in in a day and time where the news on television doesn't mean a whole lot. You don't know what to believe, what not to believe, and uh, Walter Cronkite's been gone a long time. Anyway, um, some of you don't even know who I'm talking about. But anyway, uh, the important thing about good news is that we're talking about information, new information, news that can be life-changing. You know, when some people hear good news, it makes a radical difference in their lives. Can you imagine, I I don't suppose any of us really could possibly imagine Whenever President Lincoln in 1863 uh, did signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Now, if you were a slave in the southern part of the United States, that would have been absolutely amazing, life-changing, incredible information. Now, if you lived in some other part of the world where slavery did not exist, that news wouldn't have meant a whole lot to you. But if you were a slave in America, 
That would be life-changing news. It would be something that would make a difference the rest of your life. But I want you to think about what really happened then. So slavery was abolished. Slaves were declared to be free. But you got to remember, in that day and time, uh, news did not travel like it does now. And so there are many, many stories that we've heard over the time, over time, that uh, there were people in remote parts of the country, Texas, for example. I've heard stories uh, about how long it took for the news to spread to Texas. And so think about this. There were some situations where even though slavery had been uh, legally abolished, some people had not heard the news yet, and they were still living and acting as if it was still going on, okay? Then you can imagine, especially in the South, there probably were those that slave owners, for example, that that was not good news to them. They did not perceive that as being good news. In fact, many of them probably perceived that as being financially disastrous to them personally. There probably were slaves in the South that when they heard the news, many of them were so excited and thrilled. There were probably others that had reservations, they had doubts, they had fears. Is this really the truth? Are things really going to change? Is my life really going to be different? There are all kinds of ways that people might receive good news. The same thing is true when it comes to the gospel message. There are some people that receive the gospel as incredibly life-changing news. It is great news. It's the greatest news they've ever heard. Other people don't seem to care much. It doesn't affect them. They're not very interested in that. There are some people that resist the gospel. They don't want to hear it. They don't believe it. That sort of thing. And so we have to understand the nature of news, the nature of good news, what it is and how people receive it. Let's talk for a moment about what the good news is not. The good news is not what you might call the plan of salvation. That's what a lot of people think it is or believe it to be. And if I were to have asked everybody as they walked in the building today, what do you believe the gospel is or what is your definition of the gospel, some people may have said something like this. Well, I'm a sinner. Jesus died for my sins, so when I die, I can go to heaven. If I believe in him, I will go to heaven when I die because my sins are forgiven. That's the gospel to them. Well, we could say, as we're going to find out, that is maybe a part of it. But if that's all the gospel is to you, then you have missed the beauty of the full, complete gospel that the New Testament brings to us. There are many methods 
that people use to try to get people saved. I'll just use that language, okay? For example, uh, you've all heard about the sinner's prayer. And people are trained and coached to, to go out to people and, and tell them Jesus died, you're a sinner, you're going to hell unless you believe in Jesus because he died for your sins. And if you believe in Jesus, you can be saved. So if you'll just say the sinner's prayer right here and right now, you can be saved. And that's the gospel in their mind. It's kind of interesting that when you look in the New Testament, you go through the book of Acts, you look in the letters of the churches, all of these things, look at the words of Jesus, Never, ever in the New Testament do you read anything about a sinner's prayer. Never do you see anybody saying a sinner's prayer. Never do you see the words that you're supposed to say in the so-called sinner's prayer. So, that's another story. Some of us grew up with a five-fingered uh, Letters H B R C B. Some of you are smiling and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Others of you have no idea what I'm talking about. And it just shows that different groups that wear the name Christian have different slants, different understandings. And in that group of people, that's what is called obeying the gospel. You want to obey the gospel? You got to hear the word of God, believe it, repent of your sins, confess the name of Jesus, and be baptized. And that's the gospel. Well, these methods and these formulas to try to bring people to Christ are not what a first century Christian would have thought about when they heard the word gospel, okay? It's not what they would have thought about, and we need to get back to what the Scripture teaches. When you talk about somebody getting saved, what are you talking about? In most people's view, it's simply a matter of, my sins are forgiven, so I can go to heaven when I die. But listen, salvation in Scripture is much bigger and broader than that. I want you to understand that when you understand what Jesus has done, when you see the proclamation in Scripture, what you're going to find is salvation includes a lot of things that perhaps you may never have spent much time thinking about. For example, salvation means someone is delivered. What does it mean to deliver something? Well, Amazon delivers stuff to your house probably every week. Something gets delivered. What does that mean? That means it moves from one place to the next place. It moves from somewhere to where it now belongs. And that's what God does for us. He takes us in a place where we don't belong, and he moves us, he transfers us to a place where we do belong. Colossians 1 verse 13 captures that when he says, we have been translated into the kingdom of light. 
We were in darkness. We were once in the world. We were once under Satan. But because of Jesus, we are delivered from that kind of life, from that way of life. We are delivered from that state of being. And now we have been transferred, translated, moved into the kingdom of God. That's what the gospel does. So the gospel moves you. The gospel delivers you. The gospel rescues you. Why do people need to be rescued? Because they are dying. They're in a hopeless, terrible situation, and they cannot save themselves from it. So God comes along, and he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God sees us in our lost condition. God sees us in our death, and God reaches down through his son, and he snatches us out of that death. He rescues us from ourselves. He rescues us from sin. He rescues us from the world around us. That's what salvation is. It does include forgiveness, praise God, because we all need forgiving We all have been broken, we all have been messed up, we all have sinned, we all have been damaged, we've been bruised, we've been hurt, all of us have. And salvation means God taking the broken pieces and putting them back together. It means that God reaches down to us and he makes something beautiful as we sing beauty out of ashes. What God does is he takes us in our mess, in our chaos, and he brings us peace. He takes us from our hopelessness, from our sadness, from our depression, from our discouragement, and he gives us true, lasting joy. That's what God does. That's what salvation is. He takes us while we are a slave to sin, and he frees us. He releases us. He lets us go. We are no longer bound. We are no longer held. We are no longer slaves to sin. And so salvation includes all of those things. We were once away from God. Now we are reconciled to God. Jesus reaches out and takes us in one hand. He reaches out and takes God in the other hand, and he pulls us together in and through the work that he has done. He brings us back into relationship with God. Your relationship is restored. It is renewed. You are refurbished. You are recreated. That's what salvation is. That's why it's so important for us to understand the gospel and realize that salvation includes many aspects. Even sanctification is a part of salvation. Transformation into the image of Jesus Christ is a part of salvation. Because you see, the fact is, I was saved, I am being saved, and I am going to be saved. Do you understand that? I was once saved. 
But listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 3 has to say. I'm not going to read all of this. I'm just going to read some excerpts from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 4. Okay? But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, listen, are being transformed. Now he's writing to Christians here. He says, the veil has been removed. You have come to Christ. You now can see. And so they have been saved. These are Christian people. But he says of these Christian people, you are being transformed. So they are being changed into the image of Jesus. And he goes on to say, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so he continues in chapter 4, and he says that, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, think about what he is saying here. He is telling Christian people who are saved that they are being changed. They are being transformed. What is changing them? The glory of Jesus. When they look upon Jesus, when they see Jesus, when Jesus shines in their face, they are changing. Just like when Moses went up on the mountain and he changed when he saw God. His face began to shine. You see, when you look at Jesus, you're going to change. When you keep looking at Jesus, you're going to keep changing. And the more you look at Jesus, the more you're going to become like Jesus. You're going to be changed into the image of Christ. And ultimately and finally, when Jesus comes again, John says, when he comes again, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I know this, we shall see him as he is, and we shall be like him. Is that good news? Is that good news that one day you and I are actually going to be like Jesus? Yeah, that's good news. Now the question is, do you believe that? 
Because probably if I ask every single one of you, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for our sins and rose again on the third day? I suspect that we would have just about 100% or close to it would say, yes, I believe that. And so you would think to yourself, well, I believe the gospel. But do you believe all of that? Do you believe all of that? Have you experienced this? Is this a reality in your life? If, is this a description of who you are and what has happened to you? Because I want to tell you something. If these things, if these kinds of things have actually happened to you in your life, you're going to know it. You're going to know it because you lived it. It has occurred in you. You are a different person than you used to be. You have been removed from one place, from one situation, from one kind of person, and now you are living a new, a different way of life. And that reality that you have experienced allows you to see and know the presence of God with you. You now have the Holy Spirit living in you, and that makes a discernible difference in the kind of person you were before the Holy Spirit took up residence in you. Does that make sense? I hope so. Romans 7, 24, remember, Paul said, who will deliver me from this body of death? Romans 5, 9 and 10 since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. Notice, they're Christians. They have now been justified. Much more shall we be saved by him. You see? He's talking about some kind of a future salvation, even though they are presently, currently saved. We shall be saved from the wrath of God. Dallas Willard says, the primary barrier to the power of Jesus' gospel today is a view of salvation and of grace that has no connection with discipleship and spiritual formation. It is a view of grace and salvation that supposedly gets one ready to die but leaves them unprepared to live now in the grace and the power of the resurrection life. So what is the gospel? Well, I'll simplify it for you. The gospel is the story of Jesus. Don't ever forget that. The gospel is the story of Jesus. But what is the story of Jesus about? The story of Jesus is a climax of something that God had been working on for a long, long time, ever since he created man. You see, when you go back and read carefully Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, and you read about what happened there in the garden, what you're going to find is God created Adam and Eve, and he placed them in the garden to tend it. They were to name the animals. They were to take care of God's creation. The world that God created and placed them in, God had communion and fellowship with them in that place. 
Eden was the garden of God. Eden was where God was with his people that he created, okay? Now, when the people who were made in the image of God, the image bearers of God. In other words, they were to bear the image, they were to reflect God in the garden. Okay? Everybody understand that? They were to reflect God in the garden. But whenever they themselves tried to be God, instead of obeying God, they were put out of the garden of Eden. They failed, in other words, to be the image bearers who took care of God's creation. They failed. So what did God do? Well, God picked a man named Abram. And from that man, over time, God created a new nation, a nation that previously had never existed before. He creates this nation of Israel, and he called that new nation that he himself brought forth miraculously. Remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? Remember that? God brought forth that nation in a miraculous way, and those were his children those were his people. And all the nations of the earth, they served other gods. God rejected them at the Tower of Babel. They served other gods, and the nation that was God's nation, God's people, was Israel. And Israel was supposed to be a light to the world to bring the world back to the true God. That was their mission. In other words, they were to be the image bearer of God in the world. They were to reflect God to the world around them. Just like Adam and Eve were supposed to reflect God in the garden, that's what Israel was supposed to do in the world. They failed. They failed. And then God, and I don't think any of us, I don't think all of our collective minds together can grasp the fullness of the genius and the brilliance of mastermind of what God did next. God sent his son to become a man a man who could be traced all the way back to the original image bearer, Adam. Who could be traced all the way back through Israel, the son of God, the image bearer. And where they failed, when everybody before him failed to fully reflect God in the world, Jesus did not fail. You hear me? Jesus reflected the image of God and the world around him beautifully and accurately and perfectly. Jesus did that. Jesus 
was everything that Adam and Eve was supposed to be. He was everything that Israel was supposed to be. He was everything that King David was supposed to be. Jesus reflected the image of God. And, and here's the thing about this. The way God designed all of this is that he brings Jesus to us through all these failures. And through all the failures, God himself comes as a man in his son and he accomplishes himself. He has to do it himself because man couldn't do it. And so God, through his son Jesus, he becomes a man and he accomplishes himself what was not able to be done before. Now here's the incredible thing about it. Those who accept Christ through faith and repentance, and you know what repentance is? We've got so used to this Repentance means turning away from sin. Repentance is bigger than that, folks. Listen to me. When Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel, Jesus was saying, you are going the wrong direction with your life, and you need to stop. That's what he was saying. Your whole life, you need to stop. You need to turn and you need to follow Jesus. That's what he was saying. And that's what we need, and that's what the world needs today. The world around us, in all its sin, and all its wickedness, and all the perversion, and all the things that are messed up and twisted and broken, the world needs to stop and follow Jesus. That is the gospel. That's what you need to tell people. You need to stop. The way you're living, the route you're taking, the path you're on, that's not going to get you anywhere. You need to follow Jesus. And so Jesus did not fail. So the story of Jesus is the fulfillment of, of not only the nation of Israel, but the story of Jesus is the fulfillment of the initial purpose for why God created man in the first place. Everything that God intended to do, the whole story of the Bible from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, which that's where we're going to end. We're going to end up in the book of Revelation, so bear with me. All of it. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Don't shorten the gospel. Don't minimize the gospel. Don't make the gospel about you. You see what people have done in this Western individualistic society? All people care about is if I get my sins forgiven and I'm going to heaven. God's so much bigger than that. Trust me, his plan is so much more far-reaching than that. 
Can it include you? Absolutely. Can it include me? Absolutely. Does it include us? Yes. But it's not my story. It's not about God has a plan for my life. Let me tell you what it's about. God has a plan to accomplish his will on earth. God has a plan, and God is working his plan, and it's for all the world. And when he's finished, he's going to have a new heavens and a new earth where dwells righteousness, where we have been perfected, where God is finished with us. We've been raised from the dead. Jesus' story is our story. That is our story. That is our plan. That is our life. It's the story of Jesus. So let's look at how this works. Man, I could keep you here a long time. But I won't. We're in a situation where when we sin, we die. Now, Jesus comes to our world. He enters into humanity. He steps into history. And Jesus does not sin, but he takes our sins. He bears our sins because our sin bear, and he dies. Now, Jesus dying enters into our death. Jesus comes and participates in what we all go through. We're going to die, okay? If Jesus doesn't come first, get ready, you're going to die. We're going to have a memorial for my friend Melanie Keller this afternoon. One of these days, there's going to be one for you, okay? Get ready. It's coming if Jesus doesn't come first, it's coming. Your death is imminent, as is mine. So Jesus enters into that. He didn't have to. Jesus willingly chose to come and be a human being and die just like us. But when he did, on the third day, he came out of death. He was victorious over death. He is now alive. He came alive on the third day after his death, and he is still alive after these 2,000 years, and he's going to be alive 2,000 years from now. He rose never to die again. Okay? And so in doing that, Jesus reverses our death. He enters into our death, takes our sin, and he becomes life. And by his resurrection life, by the resurrection life of Jesus, we now live. Jesus' death unleashes new creation. Now, I want you to understand that. This is critical. This is key. Jesus' death and resurrection unleashes new creation for me and for you and for all the world. Listen to what the Bible says about Jesus. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. When Jesus came announcing the kingdom, he was telling everybody around him that the kingdom of God is breaking into history. A new society, a new world order is taking place. A new citizenship, a new way of life is emerging. God's kingdom is taking over the world, and Jesus is the king. Jesus is the rightful king of the world now. Do you understand that? That's the gospel. The gospel is the kingdom of God has come to the earth and Jesus Christ is now king of the world. That's the gospel message. Acts 5.42 says they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. We tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors. Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. You see all of these statements? If you will look at them and read them carefully, you can learn that's what the gospel is right there. There's the gospel. Jesus is the Messiah. He is Lord of all. He is the fulfillment of the prophets and all that God was doing until Jesus came. So what is the gospel? It's the saving story of Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation, his ascension, It centers on the lordship that Jesus is king. It calls people to respond. You see, when you hear this good news, when you hear this life-changing message, this has happened. God has come to the world in the person of his son. The kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom of God is going to take over the world. Jesus is Lord of all. When you hear that message... Okay, what are you going to do about it? Nah, I don't believe that. And that's what some people do. They turn around, they, they walk off. Some people not interested. Some people jump on that for a little bit, and then they jump right off. Oh, sounds great. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to say the sinner's prayer and ask Jesus into my heart. Did you know Barna, in all his research, 
show that over 50% of the people who say the sinner's prayer never become followers of Jesus. Christianity is about being serious about who Jesus is, what he has done, and then we live that because his spirit lives in us. Okay? So, in conclusion, remember the original plan. God created image bearers to take care of the world as his representatives on earth. They failed miserably, as did Israel. And Jesus is the Son of God who bears the image of God. He is the image of the invisible God. Remember, we read in Colossians 1.15. 2 Corinthians 3, we already covered that. Jesus, as God's image and glory, transforms us into that image and glory. Listen, folks, if, if you'll read, if you'll take some time, spend some time with the last part of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and the first part of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I promise you, you're going to get excited. You cannot help but get excited if you will spend some time in that passage of Scripture. Jesus, as God's image and glory, transforms us into the same image. So listen, the glory of Christ is entered into by us through the Spirit so that the assignment of Jesus' reign over the earth is shared by us. Do you know that the body of Christ is going to reign with the Lord in glory? You know who's going to reign over the new heavens and new earth? You are. That's amazing. And here we are. Revelation 5, 9, and 10. Come on up, praise team, while I read this. You have made them, that, that's, uh, that's the Christian he's talking about, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Chapter 20, verse 6, and they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him. Isn't that good news? 